And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Hey, everybody. We're excited to be starting a brand new series today about the Enneagram and marriage. We're calling it our Fall Marriage Makeover Series. That's right, sweetie. And we're planning to talk to several different couple types over the next few weeks so that you can hear about how knowing their particular type, or maybe you're married to a spouse of that type, how it help may help you to uncover some of the healthy or unhealthy patterns in your marriage. So we all know the Enneagram is helpful to our personal growth, but it's interesting to hear how different types get married. Their couple type combination seems to take on a whole new personality of its own. And so in this series, we're going to be looking forward to hearing from couples about their role and their, how their Enneagram types play out in their marriage. And we're starting today by welcoming Gabe and Rebecca Lyons to the show. Gabe and Rebecca founded Q in 2007, a learning community that mobilizes Christians to advance the common good in society. Gabe is a speaker and author whose books, writings, and events are credited with shaping a new imagination for how the Christian church can live faithfully and engage in modern times. Rebecca is a national speaker and best-selling author of Rhythms of Renewal, Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose, as well as a brand new book called A Surrendered Yes, 52 Devotions to Let Go and Live Free. We are so glad that you're joining us for this new series. Enjoy our chat with Gabe and Rebecca Lyons. Well, hey, everyone. Today, we have some really fun guests that we actually just met just a couple of months ago on a fun retreat at Windshape doing some stuff with Chick-fil-A. We had a really good time. Uh, so Rebecca and Gabe Lyons, welcome. We're so glad to have you guys. Oh, we're excited to be with you guys. I know. So fun meeting you guys and thankful to get to have the conversation today. Yes. Well, tell us a little bit about yourselves. And my first real experience with you guys was actually in the audience of Q, the Q conference. So kind of let people know what you do um, separately, but also together. Yeah. Well, it's a weird time to have a brand called Q in the culture today. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the I way. Never, <laughs> I never even put that wow. it, it did launch. Q Ideas has kind of been our brand for forever and we shortened it to Q, but now we're kind of lengthening it back out to yeah. Q Ideas. But we essentially created this space 15 years ago where Christian leaders could really ask questions and not just be told what to think, but start to learn how to think for themselves around so many of the difficult and controversial issues and conversations of our time. And our goal through events, through online learning, through retreats and lots of communities that we create, learning communities, we're trying to help Christians stay faithful to scripture, but also navigate all the difficult topics that Mm -hmm. we're dealing with for ourselves, for our world, for our kids. Uh, and so that space has become a pretty sacred space for a lot of leaders wow. to, to meet one another, yeah. to kind of work through things. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's raised probably the level of not, not just intelligence, but, but maybe a real sense of remaining faithful, being intellectual, but also being compassionate, mm-hmm. you know, for what God's called us to do in the world. So we together, Rebecca and I launched that back in 2007. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're on fif- 15 years of that kind of work in that space. Yeah. I would say I was, I'm a little bit of a late bloomer, uh, home for a decade with our kids. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to New York in 2010 and I had a panic attack four months in and then that developed into very frequent for about a Mm. year plus. And it's kind of crazy because God used that season to catalyze my work because then I, you know, I found peace and rescue in that season and 
you know, I think God just gives us a story and then we can't shut up about it. So I started yeah. writing and I want, that's been, turned into like five books now yeah. and teaching yeah. on it. And it's really about mental health from the lens of science and faith colliding, not yeah. one forsaking the other. That's what I get really excited about. And your most about. recent book was? Rhythms of Renewal, mm-hmm. Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. And that's the four ryth- rhythms, rest, restore, connect, create, that we can integrate in our everyday life to have prevention around that topic. Yeah, that's so great. Well, so we're going to dive in, and this is going to be kind of a fun and unique episode because, Gabe, you haven't landed on your type quite yet. There's maybe a couple numbers that you're wrestling with. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I'd say over the last probably seven years since I first learned about Enneagram, <laughs> you know, I, I had friends in that t- at that time who were, 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 you know, it was a very new conversation. Yeah. Oh, Not sure. a lot of Definitely people were talking then. about right. it. Mm-hmm. And I think the early type for me was, you seem like a three. And so I yes. kind of went with that for a while. Mm-hmm. But then it emerged into, well, maybe you're a five because of your investigative kind of nature Mm -hmm. that that we do with Q. And then understanding the secret sins that go along with these, I'm like, well, I'm a bit gluttonous. Uh Like that's that's probably my number one problem. So maybe I'm a seven. And then I took an assessment and it said I was an eight. Uh So I'm coming in typing as a three, five, seven, eight. Yeah, I love it. Well, (laughs) and we do use all nine types to varying degrees. So just to let everyone else out there know that. And some people really do use quite a few at the top. Now, we did talk about the tri-type in another episode. And I'm not sure if we'll go there fully here, but I am kind of intrigued in what your tri-type might be. And so we might actually go there. But at least in my mind, I'm keeping a few numbers up at the very top. So, Oh, Bethy, you're being modest. You, you already know. You can feel it in your gut. You're just not going to tell him yet. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I can't That's tell right. him. We only can ask the that, questions that, and let him discover Sure, Beth. Sure. But before we go there, Gabe, just tell us, you know, kind of where you are, where you're at in this season with the Enneagram. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking. And, you know, it was so fun meeting you guys a couple months ago. And the more I heard about your story and, my investigative side has been a bit skeptical about the Enneagram. Sure. Um, just hearing its origins, understanding, you know, how it can be used and misused. Yes. The pentagram kind of sure. shape yeah, of the star, you know, <laughs> there, there's a lot there that made me skeptical. And at least I, I always kind of have that alert up of like question, especially as it relates to theology. How is this impacting the church? I've, I've seen it move into the church very yes. quickly and very a lot of people quickly. just adapt it. Um, and and really use it incorrectly. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I remember a conversation with John Mark Comer and Annie Downs probably a year and a half ago, where you know, with his spiritual director, he had been working yes. through it privately, yep. and she's like, "What's your type?" And he's like, "I'm not going to tell you my type. This is this yeah. is meant to be between me and my spiritual director. This is very private. Yeah, um, for me to become, you know, you know, who God's called me to be as I'm being sanctified." I appreciated that, you know, and so I think even coming into today, I'm, I'm, I love having this conversation because it's the conversation people are having. But when I went back and understood how much you guys have, have done some hard work, I mean, your episodes, I think it was 64, 65, 66, I'd recommend to people who have this sort of skepticism about the Enneagram, you really did a good job of, of processing how you've approached it, how you're using it how biblically guided your approach has been oh. to help people. And and you also recognize there are a lot of these pitfalls. There's a lot of problems that could come along with it. So I think I come to the conversation today like like I always do. I just want to learn. I want to hear more. I'm always interested to better understand, you know, how God's wired and designed me. So I think that's kind of my approach. You're really here because you want to learn about our marital dance. <laughs> yes, let's be honest. 
That's right. I understand her. I'm always, I'm always I'm working like, on my I'm marriage. I'm over here, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all about you. I must be a three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it can be lots of numbers. Oh, that's actually. right. All right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. You know, um, I, it's interesting to, to hear you say that, Gabe, because so when Beth and I found out about the Enneagram in 2001, we were at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. And so uh, we were being trained in kind of this Francis Schaefer-esque way of engaging culture. And so, but it was more about engaging culture. We were not a withdrawal type mentality. It was how does the gospel intend to enter into culture for for the purposes of redemption in light of re- redemption coming whenever Christ returns. And so, but th- what's interesting is that uh, at the time we had read Richard Rohr's book and uh, on the Enneagram but we kept quiet. Like well, it was. And, I mean, some, a lot of it we didn't even agree with, but it, it sparked our thoughts and interests. That's right. And so we didn't start going public till probably 2008 because we were so reluctant dealing with these Catholic mystic, new age, secular psychologists and trying to tie together the theological categories and definitions that we had embraced in our own theological training. And what does this look like to take a tool that was developed in all of its craziness, um, good and bad, uh, but also see like, okay, this is speaking to something that could really be beneficial to people. But one of the things that for Beth and I, where even we at times, as people have embraced the Enneagram, we're like, hey, try not to make this into another trend. Like, this is not like the prayer of Jabez or whatever trendy book is out there, a new personality tool. This is a helpful resource, but it's not intended to replace anything about who God is for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ and now applied to us by his spirit. So I, I appreciate the questions, but I, I'm curious if there was one top question that you'd want to ask, what would it be? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Um, I, I do think it's this medium is the message question for me. So I'm a fan of Neil Postman and yeah, Marshall I remember McLuhan. Yep. who kind of developed that idea that the medium is the message. So I'm all about redeeming everything in the world. Like we just want to, we want to sure. show up and be a presence in that and redeem it. But the question that hangs out there for me is, is the medium of the Enneagram in its inception, 
um, redeemable? Mm-hmm. Is it is it in its inception? Does it have some some sort of mystical enterprise kind of weaved into this um, that focuses us more on ourself and the true self, false self language that I know Richard Rohr uses and a, and a lot of others. Mm-hmm. Does this just theologically push us into a zone where we're constantly identifying ourselves uh, in our in ourself more than in the image of God? And you guys work through that. Yeah. You've done a great sure. job. And I think I think unpacking that. But I think that's just that lingering thing yeah. for me about sure. full adoption yeah. is is whether I need to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think if you do read a lot of the authors out there and the, and listen to a lot of the teachers, that is their focus. It is looking at yourself, correcting yourself, fixing yourself. But when we take it to the lens of the gospel, that is not what we're trying to do. We're really seeing who we are and whose we are. So who we are, how has God created us to be uniquely? So how can we unify as a body of Christ, but how are we also created in diversity? You know, the body, the the different parts that make up to attribute and to glorify Christ. So we're different. So we want to know those differences, but when sin came, it tainted how we also distribute and attribute our giftings in a way that harms ourselves and others. And so we want to use the Enneagram kind of like a rumble strip on the highway where we are veering off course. And a lot of times we don't even know we're doing it. It's just like everyday life. Like this is what we do. And when we start to veer off course, we want something to alert us, to alert our heart condition is not aligned with the gospel truth. And if we can be aware, that doesn't mean we all of a sudden are like, oh, look, I've got the school or the the skills. I can just kind of get on the right path again. Look, I'm awesome. That is not how it is. But what we can do is surrender and depend on the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to bring us back into likeness of Christ. And that for us is the aim of using the Enneagram because it's like an x-ray that shows shows you what is broken or not broken, but it can't do the healing. Yeah. Only Christ is our true physician. Yeah. And I, and I love that. And I love, I love how you guys have approached it, which is why I think today's conversation for me is fun. It's going to, I'm going to learn a lot. And I think everybody listening, whether they have skepticism about it or not, we're going to all see how <laughs> sure. just better understanding how we're wired mm-hmm. can contribute, I think, to a healthier marriage. You know, what's <clears throat> as I think about it as a pastor, and I'm not sure why, but Particularly today, I have forgotten some of the, like, one of my good friend's names. I couldn't think of it today. I wanted to call him Keith, and his name's Ken. But so I'm forgetting right now the specific references. But, you know, the Enneagram is a pastor. It's a wisdom tool. Um, and ministers of the gospel throughout history have created various resources to help people. Um, I know that there are several Catholic teachers that created rules. Now, they're not saying that these were biblical rules, but these were pastoral ways in order to help God's people to navigate their internal worlds. Um, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. So my training is with Dan Allender, uh, and Dan is an artisan with the heart. I mean, he is incredible. People try to mimic him, and it <laughs> fails completely entirely. Matter of fact, they end up hurting people while they do it um, because he is just so good at what he does. And what you see is some of his students trying to capture and organize his thoughts so that other people can repeat it. So in some ways, the the Enneagram is that way. It's like a, a way of 
talking about giving language to the heart that's pastoral, that's wisdom, that's more experiential, but it's not to be equated with the scriptures themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not to replace anything that God has given to us in his scriptures and by his spirit now that illuminates the word of God in our hearts. But so Christians have always kind of created these tools and they come and they go and rightfully so uh, as we enhance them and further develop them in the lives of people. I love it. Okay, let's jump in. All right. So I, I think <laughs> we had all the disclaimers. Yeah. <laughs> so Rebecca, awesome. let's start with you first because you know your type. So tell everyone like what your type is and your discovery process and what it's meant for you to to really kind of dive in and to understand that kind of inner world. So uh, several years ago, I guess right when we moved here in 2014, uh, I paid somebody 50 bucks to help me figure out my number. And yeah. it was yes. like a card game on the table uh-huh. at Frothy Monkey. And oh, I, I, totally I was like, I don't know cards, how yeah. like, I'm like, I don't know That's how a lot like. of credibility. <laughs> <time right now. laughs> That's <laughs> right. Tarot card it reading, all, astrology. All, That's awesome. This is great. Like 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm like, what's your Venmo? Oh wait, we didn't even have Venmo back then. But the point is, is I think it, Initially, I actually was one card higher on eight than I was four. And uh-huh. I was like, wait a minute, because if Gabe and I are both eight, yeah. that is not good. Um, but um, <laughs> but funny. four felt more true at, from actually processing that content. Yeah. So then I took a more legitimate, perhaps, um, I believe, assessment a couple years later. And uh, I thought I would type three, because mm-hmm. I'm but I can I can work in two sides of my brain. Yeah. Like as a writer, I get all emo and mm-hmm. tell you all the raw, yucky stuff, mm-hmm. very vulnerable. But then when it's time to sell that book, yeah. Don Miller and I have laughed about this. Like he's like, Well, I can be very um, you know, emotive, but then I need to capitalize on it. And I'm right. like, Well, I don't I wouldn't put it that way. But the point <laughs> is is if you really care <laughs> about great. the content, yeah. then there's a strategy side that I've always had too kind of a survival skill, quite frankly, of like just supporting myself from college on. Yeah. And so that that's there too. And I thought maybe I would type as a three. So now I've learned that I'm a four. Mm-hmm. I type as a four, but it's a self-preserving four, mm-hmm. which means I kind of know how to get scrappy mm-hmm. and just be yeah. resourceful or resilient. It's the counter type of four. It's the it's called tenacity. And this is the type that it doesn't look, quote unquote, like the stereotypical four, what you read. They're, they have tenacity. So you have all of those feelings of the core motivations of the four, but you're not just going to emote it and show it to everyone in any given moment, right? Is right. that how, how it yes. feels? Yeah. Yeah. I have friends who would also type as a four and I joke with them. I'm like, I type as a four, but you are way more of a four than I am. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I will, I will leave them unnamed, that's but they right. know who they are. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. funny. Measuring yeah. fourness, like a, Hey, we're all unique, but you're more unique than I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Exactly. Well, good. Well, so Gabe, let's kind of dive in. So you have tested and thought maybe three, five, seven, and eight. Yes. All right. So before Gabe right now is two pieces of paper with all the core motivations of those, of all nine types, but particularly those. And so we, Gabe, when we're really looking at your type, because again, we use all nine types of varying degrees. We really want to think of, especially it's easier to think about when I'm not in a great moment, like when I'm struggling, what do I go to? What do I lean on? What is the propelling force behind why I think, feel, and behave in particular ways? Now, again, a lot of these are going to pop up and there's really good reasons for some of them um, for you. But when you are kind of struggling, 
you know, or just kind of in your everyday mode. And this is your entire life, not just this last five minutes or last six months, but overall, which one seems to be popping up the most and why? So would this be the, maybe the weakness that I'm having? You can, you can look at the weakness, um, but all, all of it kind of comes in right. as a package. Hmm. Well, when I look at all the types, this is what's hard for me is mm-hmm. like type three, you are love for simply being you. Yeah. I feel like that's one I struggle with mm-hmm. and always have. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. But then, like I said earlier, gluttony feels like the secret sin that I've dealt with. Mm-hmm. I'd say over the last decade. Um, and so, you know, I know that's meaning that's gotta be meaningful. This is what yeah. I go to when I feel empty yeah. and when I don't feel like I'm, and this is one of the yeah. things that it, it's interesting about the Enneagram is that it, it in, in one sense, it talks about very meaningful things of the heart. Uh, and so it, it can be a, a fun thing that you get to know one another, but it's something meaningful. But I'm curious around how, what does, how does gluttony serve your heart? What's its intent? Hmm. What's it trying to fill, numb, or avoid? I think it's, it's um, when I go to that, it's because I'm, Overwhelmed, so not sure how to handle situations, feeling extra stress. And if you're and fearful of not being able to handle it, like what's your fear that's going to happen? I think I'm fearful that uh, the things I've worked towards would fail, um, would go away, mm-hmm. would, um, yeah, would would be gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And when we talk about gluttony, it's not just, you know, gluttony with food for people to realize. It is a gluttony of life and experiences, stimulation, because... Yeah, you know, like I'll go to golf, for example, mm-hmm. and, and, yep. and, and you know, distract myself with experiences like that or right. hobbies, taking on new hobbies. And, and when you're playing golf, what is, what is it you feel whenever you're playing golf that's so awesome? Ah, it feels playful, freedom... Don't have to think about work. Can just are you good at be it? competitive? Yeah, <laughs> decent. <laughs> decent. That's right. It, that is an interesting like gluttonous activity because it, if you're you know wanting to make sure like I can move to something that's more controlled, right, more relaxing, I would not have for me personally thought golf would free my soul. <laughs> it would be a tormentor. Right, uh, right. My son plays golf and he is tormented uh, internally. But yeah, what what other questions would you have, Ben? Yeah. So the biggest differences between these types, you know, so uh, the three is all about uh, having an appearance of success. They fear failure, but it's about image. Mm-hmm. So do other people admire me? Do they see my success? Am I going to be exposed as a failure or incompetent, worthless? So it's really about shape-shifting mm. into any given situation. So let's say you were to walk into a mechanics store and you know nothing about cars. A three is going to know instantly how to shape-shift to look like they at least know something and not as incompetent or mm. um you know, worthless. Now, so the three is all about shape shifting in the moment. Now, the eight is the opposite. Now, they're both highly successful, driven, and yes. get things done. But the eight will is the most authentic on the Enneagram. What you see is what you get. They are blunt, they're honest, they're straightforward, and they want others to be the same right. because they fear being blindsided, manipulated, and betrayed. So, 
if I were to be like accommodating and really nice with my language, you might be as an eight, you might be thinking, what's the angle? What's going on here? Can't you just say it like mm-hmm. it needs to be said? Yeah. I can take it. Yeah, right. So for an eight, it's all about honesty and yeah. upfrontness because of the fear of being harmed, betrayed, um, and blindsided. Yeah. That all feels much more true to my perspective. Is it possible that I could have moved from a three to an eight as well, life has gone on? So usually what what we believe is that you're born your type. But as I was saying earlier, there is um, another layer of the Enneagram called the tri-type. The tri-type shows us that there are three uh, categories. So the twos, threes, and fours are from the heart triad. The five, six, and seven are from the head, and the eights, nines, and uh, ones are from the gut. So what the tri-type is saying is that if you kind of erase all the lines and you're just looking at these types, you have three types that are operating in you from one from each of these categories. Now, one is your most dominant. The other two are supportive to your dominant type from those um, triads. So for instance, if you're an eight, three might actually be in your tri-type which means that it is trying to support the efforts of your main type, the eight. So what that means is as an eight, you're a go-getter, you're honest, you're going to plow a path for others. We say that they're, at least I do, that they're snowplows. A lot of people call them bulldozers. I'm like, no, they're like those big diesel snowplows. They're really wanting to plow a path for others to help, to protect. Um, And that is their heart. Now, yes, they might nick people on the side of the roads. They might plow over people on the side of the roads. But if they're at a healthy place, their heart's intention is to plow for people. Now, if that's true, if you're an eight, if that's your main type, you could use the three from your tri-type to excel, to be good at things, to have missions and goals and tasks that yeah. you help that helps your eight to get those things done. Yeah. But an eight is not going to shapeshift. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that makes that sense. That feels so, almost like So how it. does the seven, I know so, there's wings and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. How exactly. does, does the... And seven and five actually come into play as well. Does the gluttony side of seven show up if you're an eight? Well, so an eight, look at at eight's core weakness. Can you read that out loud? Yeah, lust and excess, constantly desiring intensity, control, and power, pushing yourself willfully on life and people in order to get what you desire. So basically, the eight, when they see a a cake or a pie, they want it all now. Mm -hmm. And so, now, of course, a seven does, but a seven is more about thinking of... The future, what's and you're positive. talking a literal cake. Yes. Yes. Okay. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. I was just making sure. Or a bowl of M&M. Yeah. yeah. Or a bowl of M&M. Oh, totally true for me. Oh. Or, if, if I felt like we got a marital uh, insight or, right or, there. Like, no, no, it's not a cake. A, it's M&M's for this guy. Or a dozen Krispy Kreme. <laughs> right. I mean, if it's sitting there, I'm going to have a very hard time walking away it from it. It could also be in your, in your career. You want, let's say you have a certain vision, a certain goal, and eights are great at having a, um, an overarching concept of where they're wanting to take people, and they want it all, and let's go for it now. And they yeah. want everyone to be loyal and faithful in the moment. They don't want to ever feel like, okay, could you blindside me? Can mm-hmm. you manipulate me? So gluttony and lust or excess for the eight and gluttony for the seven can actually look very similar, especially if you have a very strong seven wing mm-hmm. in that. Plus... The five is also connected to the eight as well. Usually when eights are in stress, you can move to the five because it's like, oh, what's happening here? So they pull back, they gain resources and information so they can go back on the offense. Right. That's me. Yeah. Now, but but you still use the five in a very healthy way. 
So yes. it's not that it's just a negative. You can use the five in a healthy way where you're like, okay, for Q ideas, the conference, I want to bring the best information. So I'm going to, like you just did with our podcast, I'm going to listen to episodes 64, 65, and 66. I'm going to gather all this information so I can bring the best of who I am right. to this podcast and be honest. Yep. So that's where the five can come into. Now, five, six, and seven, one of those is in your tri-type as well. So if you feel that, man, five is just a really huge part of me, not only are you connected in your line, but it actually can be that third part of your tri-type that is really assisting the eight as well, hmm. or the seven. So it kind of just depends on right. which one you're leaning on. So what we want you to recognize is that the Enneagram is a very complex system. And so when you showed me all the types that you were kind of resonating with, in my mind, I'm going, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Because I'm seeing the tri-type, I'm seeing the wings, I'm seeing the lines that are connected. And it all was really, to me, pointing to eight. Mm -hmm. Because as when I uh, gave Rebecca uh, the difference between three and eight, she was like, type eight, exclamation point. <laughs> because she does that <laughs> right. he has to be authentic and straightforward, right? Right. Well, we have used the phrase, we meaning me, eight whole. So um, <laughs> <laughs> right. only, only in jest, of yes. course. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think, just how we open this podcast is an example of probably that, right? Yeah. Just mm -hmm. wanting to be upfront. Here's my concerns, sure. my right. skepticism. And, and that can and be very different it. than the three. Yes. But I, there was another term I just said. I did a business presentation a couple of weeks ago, and um, we've heard about the eight-hole comment, which, which eight sometimes will embrace, which is actually a very unhealthy way of approaching their eightness. But um, they they called their boss your eightness instead of... <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of my mentors, I mean, who had, has appreciated the Enneagram and working with a lot of different types of people talks about, you know, a healthy eight is like the most amazing yes. leader for an organization, yes. but an unhealthy eight is the worst possible That's right. leader for well, an I mean, organization. Think about the diesel snowplow, you know, those ones that you see up in the north. Man, we, because we grew up in, I grew up in the Midwest and lived in the North for some time. You have to have those massive diesel snowplows so that police can get places. You can get to the grocery store without it. You can't just shovel your way through or even have a Ford pickup truck with the little shovel in the front. We need those diesel snowplows. So we need eights to plow a path for us. And as leaders, they can be phenomenal at that. But if they're unaware of how they can come across, they can accidentally nick people on the side of the roads. And sometimes they don't really care and they just plow over people. So it can be destructive. Well, so we're going to pivot just a little bit and we'll, we'll consider this, uh, your eightness as just kind of a coat. Like you're just trying it on, seeing how it fits. And, but let's just assume that's where you're at. Now I'm curious, what was it from your perspective that a first attracted you to a four? <laughs> if only you knew then I would type as a four. <laughs> It was her wing three. Okay, it was so attractive. <laughs> the four kind of came in from the side at the end. When you became an eight, I started crying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think in college we we both were dreamers. We mm -hmm. would spend time. We we talk a lot about how we we just remember sitting at this little ice cream shop in Lynchburg, Virginia, Billy Joe's ice cream, and having little doilies that you'd put your Sunday on and pulling out our pens and just writing our goals yes. and our dreams for life. Yes. And one of Rebecca's I remember was to own a bed and breakfast in New England. You know, nice. that was like a college dream. I just yeah. want to have I a coastal I would make home. Good money and, and yeah. I could have a house I liked. Right. Yeah. So, so we, we, we were always dreamers early on. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really where we'd both had serious relationships before 
coming together towards the end of college. Um, she was engaged. I was probably about to be engaged. And we'd broken off those relationships because we knew there was just something more in another partner and a spouse that would be more unifying and more clear about where we were going. And I think mm -hmm. that where we were going was the factor that really unified us early. Now, Rebecca, what about you? So when you think about being a four and creating this ultimate bed and breakfast that was just going to be That's so amazing, that, but it's also mm -hmm. successful. And, but the experience of being there is probably even better than just making the money off of it, right? Mm -hmm. Having the dream home. What was it about Gabe that felt like he was like giving you rails to go down? Like, Oh, here's a, here's a guy that's going to pull his weight and we're going to go for it together. Right. Yeah. I would say that it's possible. Like with him, all, you know, it was just the posture was let's do it. You know? <laughs> that's funny. I almost heard you say that with him, yeah. all things are possible. Yeah, I was like, no, he's not God. <laughs> he's not God. But, um, but I did feel we both had, um, and sometimes I even joke that it's a naive optimism sometimes because it's like, yeah, let's do it. And sometimes we're like, well, we can't do everything well, clearly. And um, so I think, so he's just always more is more, you know, that's great. Let's yes. go for it yes. and yes. let's do it. And I do think he has a gift of faith, even mm -hmm. in some ways where I'm like, I don't know, because I know exactly what that's going to require. Because yeah. I'm, again, a little more scrappy mm -hmm. um, in as a builder. And I think he has wonderful, great ideas all the time, but we can't execute on sure, all of those things. Sure. So if anything, I think we've learned as a couple over 24 years is that the risk we ever run in our dance, which I'm sure you'll get into here mm -hmm. in a second, is that uh, our marriage counselor says it's like we've bitten off a 12-pound cheeseburger and we're trying not to choke on it. Mm -hmm. This idea that we say yes, yes to so many good things because we're both kind of dreamers yep. and visionaries and we love the, um, you know, almost there's a little bit of an adrenaline junkie and yes. the idea yes. of serial um, entrepreneurship mm -hmm. or just innovation. We just like love that. Yeah. Um, neither of us love maintaining mm -hmm. things. But um, <laughs> meanwhile, you have kids and you do need to maintain that <laughs> commitment. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's sometimes where uh, our conflict can come in. Mm -hmm. And we have found after this long we still do have different lanes of strength, yeah. even in the things that aren't coming as naturally. And you don't have to elaborate too much on this, but you mentioned that when you found out Gabe was an eight, you wept. Now, they're, they're, hey, and it's true of all couples, like when they find one another's types, there's this aha that is kind of like, ha, 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 uh, okay, that's what's been happening. I get it now. What was it that made you did you actually? Yeah, leap? no, I was being sarcastic. But, okay. <laughs> but what I do mean is that I think I found more in these later years of marriage, probably year 19. So it's been about five years now that I, I found that his direct bluntness really actually hurt me. It bothered me. And I would get angry. I would get angry. And then I'd go to the other room and cry. And I'm like, you're such a jerk, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. or I'd, you know, want to say worse words than that. And to him, he didn't mind the challenge. He's like, no, let's do this. Let's go at, let's mm -hmm. go at this. Let's, 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 let's figure this thing out. And he's like, we're not fighting. I'm just being direct. And I'm, and I'm just like, well, my soul's crushed right this yeah. second. And so I think part of it still to this day, we'll have those conversations all the time about tone. And he's like, tone, you know, because to him, he's just being authentic. Yes. And I'm, and I'm still kind of it's like. It's actually more than just authenticity. It's protection. It, 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 not just of himself, it's protection of the marriage. Mm -hmm. um, I'm being blunt and honest. 
honest so that you know where I stand. Like right. I, I am for you, even though I might be saying words that hurt you. Yeah. Would that be true? Gabe? Yeah. I think it's, it's about living in truth and not, not letting facades or, you know, misinformation, let's say flood in. That's not true about mm-hmm. the situation. So I always want to kind of dig at yeah. what are we talking about here? And, and so my lack of empathy though, is what really shows up because right. she's, feeling misunderstood or like there's not connection happening because I'm not empathetic in my tone. Right. So these are all things I'm working on. Sure. um, Well, what's interesting too, and Beth, I've heard Beth comment on this. um, Eight's relationship to truth is different than one's relationship to truth. Uh, and you just, fours. Well, I mean, let's just talk about fours and, and eights. So th- what I love hearing about you guys is you both have these great creative visions of where you guys can go. So eights are big picture, fours see the ideal, and you're bringing this big picture ideal together. And you're like, and then with your eight and kind of a seven part of you and the three part is like, this is possible. And then you have a three part of you that's like, yeah, it is possible. But those aren't eights and seven or eights and th- uh, fours are not the really detailed types of people. And so though you can access that a little bit, it's not your greatest strength. But where you guys are going to get tripped up is that the four fears being emotionally cut off, defective and flawed and not being able to be their authentic self. But the eight is like, but I have to be honest and real and just say it like it is, because if I'm not, then I'm not actually loving you well. I might, you might think I'm betraying you. So I have to be as honest as possible, but that lands on her. So this is where the dance comes in. So the dance is this infinity loop. So your core motivations are in your loop on that, uh, on the left side, and your core motivations are on the right hand side. So what happens is you take a line, you put the line through the infinity loop below the line is your heart condition. Whether you know what your heart condition is or not, it's still happening. And above the line is your behaviors or the outward manifestation of what's going on in the inside. So we'll take Rebecca, you first. So when he says something that is blunt and honest, it can land on your heart as, see, he sees that I'm defective and flawed. There's something missing inside me. And so this is going to activate her heart in a very sad, a very emotional way, because it's it's literally getting to the core of who she is. Now, that might not be at all what you're thinking, Gabe, but that's landing on her. And so her outward manifestations might be anger. And then the outcome is sadness. And so wanting to withdraw, force withdrawal, and they're trying to think through uh, their feelings and their emotions. And that usually takes them even further down, especially if someone keeps kind of going for it and harping and digging. It's like, I'm already there. You don't need to push me further. But when she withdraws, that's going to land on your core motivation. So at the bottom of the infinity loop, your heart condition is like, she's not all in on this. She's not willing to go there. She's taking this personally. She doesn't see that I am all for her, which then the outward manifestation might be, I'm going to go in harder. I'm going to make sure she hears me, that she hears my passion for our marriage. We're going to work this out. And that's going to land on her in the same way and around and around that misaligned dance goes. But once you understand each other's core motivations and how this operates, you can bring the gospel to bear and align both of your hearts, or even if it's just one of you at a time, align your heart. So instead of, you know what, he thinks I'm defective and flawed, it could be like, even if he does think I'm defective and flawed, God doesn't. 
And I'm safe and secure in the goodness of how he created me unique and sensitive. And so that helps you to, to be able to come to him more honestly and say, I'm really hurt with the tone and the words you said. I know logically that you're for me, but in this moment, my heart really hurts because of your tone. I'd really appreciate it if you would, you know, approach this from a different angle, a, a more sensitive angle. And then if your heart is aligned, you can go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to plow a path for our marriage, but I can see that my intensity got a little ahead of me. Would you forgive me? You see how yeah. mm-hmm. the same core motivations, misaligned or aligned, makes all the difference. Yeah, no, it's really helpful. And I think that happens a lot for us and something we are always trying to work towards is a mutual understanding our Marriage counselor Emerson Egrich talks a lot about, you know, he calls the crazy cycle is sort of this yes. where when I don't, when she doesn't feel loved, I feel disrespected. And I think it goes in a similar direction. She doesn't feel loved when I'm coming at her and I'm, yeah. I'm not laying, laying back on something that I'm approaching with intensity how, or that how I want long to. How have you been married now? We're at 24 years. 24 yeah. years. Yeah. And Rebecca, what, it, how has things changed for you in handling uh, Gabe's eightness. Yeah, I would say I've gotten better at advocating for what I'm really trying to say or what I what I really believe is true. Mm-hmm. And it might, whereas before I would have kind of, you know, I've learned a lot of just working through shame, like yeah. the soul of shame with Kurt Thompson, Such was a life changing book. Yeah. book for me. Because what I could, what I used to do is retreat mm-hmm. and kind of just feel shame and yeah. feel like I'm misunderstood. Nobody gets me or understands yes. me. I'm, I'm, I'm broken. Yes. I'm ultimately not able to kind of relay myself in a way that would advocate. Cause I kind of just get swallowed up in t- being, believing that there is inherently as the four believes, like there isn't something inherently wrong with me and I will not be able to overcome that right. no matter how much, how persuasive I am, how charming I am how yes. intellectual I am, it's still fatally flawed. It's mm-hmm. that kind of idea. And I, and I see, I see, uh, my upbringing. My, my father was so, so tender and vulnerable. And I see uh, some similarities that I share with him. Um, so I don't, I, we don't need to talk about family of origin as far as a type, but I, I saw that modeled a little bit. And because he's so confident, mm-hmm. um, at least externally, yeah. then, then I kind of cave to that a little bit, even though on my own, I find that I am very confident, but in the dance, I yes. find that I'm the first to cave and kind of retreat. Right. So what I have learned more now is to like pause, take inventory of what just happened, and then almost be able to identify the sentence that was said that kind of shut me down and go, yes. when hmm. you said you always wake up um, angry (laughs) or frustrated. I I knew he didn't mean it. And I know that that's not true. And, and because when I come to him with a vulnerability, it's out of longing for something to be better or well, it's not because I'm chronically complaining. It's like, Hey, this, this is something that I have intuition toward that needs to kind of be addressed, whether it's about us or our kids or just, just, Mm -hmm. it's a longing that I'm, I'm, I'm bringing to bear. To him, it feels like an insult in his leadership. And so I can see how it happens. And so now I think I'm able to have better framework to kind of assess the situation, come back going. Like it was this phrase made me then feel like you you think just like less of me than yourself. And Mm. and ultimately I know that that's not true. Yeah. You would die for me. So it's it's it still comes yes. back to going, how are things communicated in a way that shut us down? Right. Now, Gabe, I mean, one of the things that, as I think of eights, I, and I think you've done this in regards to Q, 
you have created a kingdom where it's safe for people to have voice. And it and to be curious. That's right. Yeah. Like we're we're we can handle these conversations and people can speak. What has it been like for you, married to a four, to create space for Rebecca's voice to be heard? Yeah, I mean, different seasons for us. It's it's been <laughs> elevated, and I, and I know when you know we go back a decade when she was walking through her panic attacks, for mm-hmm. example, and had a real sense as her husband, like God was doing something really unique in her that needed to be given space to mm-hmm. be created and to birth. I and, mean, that's amazing. Like you're not intimidated by it. Confused, like no, okay, God's got something here. Well, it feels crazy and <laughs> out of control. And yeah, I mean, at first, yes, I definitely yes. was intimidated, didn't understand it. But yes. I, but I'm now recounting it ten years later, and gotcha. I, I can see what all mm-hmm. has come from that. And I would say there was a year or two where we even called it the year of Rebecca, where it was like, we're going to put all our energy into her having the space to really see what God's doing here and where that ought to go. And that kind of led to her writing books and and just God Mm -hmm. taking her on this journey. I'd say now at this stage of our marriage and life with four children, lots of activity, where what, what becomes a problem is lack of time and margin and capacity to give space to longer conversations. I mean, that's one of the things we're trying to work through right now is how do we create that space? Because on the transitional moments in life, when we're trying to talk about something or make a decision that there's never a lot of space. And so we're trying to, we're trying to carve back into our life a better structure. Well, if, if there's only enough time to be direct, then yeah. Because that's not going to end well. If there's only enough time for a four-minute conversation, and right. then one of his chronic things is like he hates wasting time. Right. right. So I'm like, oh, so I'm a yeah. waste of your time to like have to work through this and yes. nuance because I need nuance. Yeah. I don't want just like here's the three strategies to go do this effectively. Bye bye. You yeah. know. And so I think that's why I I probably am asking for the margin more because I I need to be heard and understood. Right. And I need to hear and understand him in a way that's not like a three-point bulleted right, that's what calendar meeting. Eights are all about bullet points. Let's go get it. We, we, we can We've do, already talked about this. We can this. do 10 <laughs> things. Two minutes. Most people could do this, do, only do three of 10 things, but we're going to do 10 right. because we're going to do bullet points. We're going to be fast and efficient, which sounds very much like a three, and especially if you bring that threeness in. But eights are phenomenal about being very quick, confident, and decisive. Yeah. And so, But the four is like, no, I want right. to know you intimately and deeply. Or I just want to process it more because yeah. I yes. have learned that we can abruptly make decisions and then unmake those same decisions six sure. months later. Sure. So I'm also trying to go, let's steward this opportunity that might sound great, but it might not be the best decision for right now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just need more time in that transition. Well, not sometimes, every time. Yeah. Every m- big move, every big thing he's been like, let's do this. I'm always the one kind of dragging my feet a little bit going, are we mm-hmm. sure? Um, I don't want to regret this. I want to feel like with you in it, and I, I just need more time to make yeah. that decision. And I think I've learned just through God's work in her life and in our family, the wisdom with which that has brought into our life and our decision-making and all of that has given me a great appreciation and acknowledgement. We need that. Yeah. Um, I'm yes. not, I am not good alone, and I would not be good right. making every decision and, and just moving forward that when we're together, when we're doing the dance. Yes. It's a beautiful thing, and God does a lot of beautiful work in that space, and we just need to make sure we're creating enough margin for that yes. to happen. Well, it, it's very common for couples to come to us and ask a terrifying question. 
And that is, are, are we the worst couple type? <laughs> Should we have not gotten married? <laughs> well, here's the good news. Uh, God has great plans for a type eight and type four relationship. And the reality is, is that, uh, you know, God does bring people together that, you know, it, you know, the Bible tells us what he brings together, no one can separate, right? So that means that even all the energy and all the miscommunication, like it's not straining God's kindness and mercy and commitment to glorify himself through our marriages, no matter what couple type we are. We want to thank Gabe and Rebecca for their honest conversation and being so transparent about their Enneagram couple type. So we want to thank them for coming on the show today. And as always, thank you for listening. This is just a reminder that no matter what couple type combination you are, there is no wrong or mismatched couple types. It's about growing and becoming our healthiest version of ourselves together as we serve one another. Join us this next week as we chat with another uh, couple type during our fall marriage makeover series. And remember, the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us. Mm-hmm.